0: House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres.
1: All right, welcome back to the House of Mystery. And uh, as we said earlier, we have uh, incredible guest here. We have someone that's been in the uh, police negotiation for the Las Vegas Police Department. And his book is called Held Hostage, and the author is Dennis Flynn. Thank you for being here, Dennis. Thank you so much for having me. So so Dennis, now let's talk a little bit about your history so people know who you are and where you come from. So um, uh, maybe give a brief outline of um, the jobs you've done. Absolutely. Uh, I spent 30 years uh, with the
2: Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, and as you can imagine, uh, it's at uh, Sin City city that never sleeps so uh the escapades of others are always on display uh had a chance to uh to be the strip commander uh and uh, be in charge of the police operations up and down the las vegas strip uh, but truly what was the most rewarding was the 18 years that i spent being a we people call it a hostage negotiator because it sounds sexy but the truth is it's more crisis negotiations mm-hmm. um that we we typically deal with people that um, you know, are suicidal, or they're they're trapped uh, in in a residence because they have warrants, or they're wa- wanted somehow, and they don't want to come out. Uh, that that only changed probably in the mid '90s to that title, because uh, although hostage negotiation is what we do, uh, not only for Las Vegas or nationally, but also internationally,
0: only about five to seven percent of incidents are truly hostage. Wow. interesting so so what what kind of other crises would there be
2: uh, it can run the whole gamut uh, most of the time most people can deal with uh, any type of crisis that occurs uh, some people uh, are or more well uh, situated to, to deal with things but some people uh, they might have some mental illnesses of course which can uh, which can cause them to have more problems but typically uh, for what most teams throughout the United States deal with are uh, people who their normal coping mechanisms just fail uh, mm. that they can they can deal with uh, a crisis uh, they can deal with um, they came they came to work and their boss fired them and it's it's heartbreaking it's tragic uh, but most people can deal with that where they where people typically have uh, that problem is that what we call that double whammy where they, now they come home and they tell their wife that, uh, you can you're not going to believe this, but I just got laid off at work. And she said, well, then it's probably a bad time, but, uh, I'm not in love with you anymore and I'm leaving. And, oh, so, wow. you know, they, these, these tragic events that occur, um, or, you know, that they just, uh, been in a bout of depression, uh, and they just can't see a way out. And to them, all it is about is just stopping the hurt, and so mm. they don't see the people that care for them, or they really believe the people that do care for them would be better off if they just weren't part of the world anymore. Uh, or uh, the combat vets that come back and they have uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and just don't know how to cope. So those are the type of people that we will typically see uh, in the in the suicidal or on the barricaded ones, you know, this is the person that, that robbed the bank, and the witnesses uh, pointed out which way he went, and the police find his car out front, and they saw him run in the house, and he knows if he comes out, he's going to go to jail, so um, he says, I'm not coming out. And do, do the cops really just want to rush right in there? He's He's got a gun. right? Uh, can we resolve this peacefully? I,
1: I, I wonder, like... Um... How did you get into doing this kind of police work rather than just, you know, per, you know being on the street or uh, being a, a regular detective?
2: Well, I'm, I'm not the biggest guy in the world. Uh, I stand a whole five foot five and a half. Um, I throw that half inch in yes. because when I was a kid, they used, to, they used to pull my arms and legs to think they could make me taller. So I'm not a big fan.
0: And welcome to the club.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, as you can imagine, um, in policing, uh, when you when you show up onto a scene, we all typically start out, uh, and I think this is true for most police officers. You know, uh, you, you go through the academy, and they teach you how to, you know, resolve situations, and well, you get this all sense of bravado of what a big man you are. Well, uh, that badge when you come out. That thing's the size of a dinner plate, and it weighs 50 pounds. And you've got to, you, you're going to do what I say by or because this bad says so. Well, uh, you learn very quickly. Uh, you, you can't whoop everybody, uh, and especially when you're a little guy, you get tired of getting socked in the mouth. So uh, it, it sure is easier to learn to talk to people. And, and when you think about it, that's what we're supposed to do anyway, try to resolve it that way. Um, of course there's going to be some people that it doesn't matter what we say they're nev- they're not going to listen of course that's why we have the, the tools and the personnel to deal with that but um, just learning to talk to people and uh, and treat people and fair uh, and and let them have their say uh, I just found that that worked well for me
0: hmm.
1: what's the process you go through like so um, how do you find out about a crisis where they need you to do, do the regular police um Call you in? Yeah, uh, almost exclusively, it's uh, it's an
2: on-call basis. There's uh, the only one that I can think of offhand that has a full-time team is uh, is NYPD, and that's because they're more than forty thousand people strong. But uh, almost every other police agency uh, across the U.S. this is an ancillary duty. So you're a police officer assigned to a beat you're a detective uh, assigned to work in cases but you had a desire uh, to get into this field and they send you through a class uh, the the kind of the uh, average would be a 40 hour uh, training class that they put you through to to learn uh the nuances of doing it and you know just how to how to use your voice and and how to just talk to people in a different manner so then uh when these situations occur Typically, your, your first responders, they'll try to resolve it, but they realize you get to a certain point, just like uh, re- requesting a SWAT team. You know, I think we have tried everything that we can. I think we're just going to need some additional resources. Not that they're
1: better. It's just that they've been offered different training. That's all. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, you know, so when you first start this and doing this, um, how do you get over the nervousness of, of- of worrying about losing the person that that's in the crisis?
2: Oh, it's, it's hard. Let's make no mistake. It is hard because when uh, your team comes out uh, and I say team, because uh, you don't do this by yourself. Uh, This isn't a a crisis negotiation person. It's a team because you need to have uh, people that can fill you in on the backstory and, and give you all the information about, what happened to the person, and who their relatives are, and, and get all that details. And then you need another person that's listening in, uh, so they can pick up uh, little phrases that might be, uh, might have been said, or can give you some, some things to say. Because when you first start talking to somebody, uh, you have nothing in common. And as you start talking, after four or five minutes, what happens when you run out of something to say? And remember, this is the most important thing in occurring that person's life right now. So then to complicate it, like you said, the, uh, the nervousness, when you get there, uh, you bring out your special phone and you put your headset on, everybody's watching. So you you just find a way to kind <clears> of <throat> get into that little zone uh, and, and try to just truly empathize with what it is that that person's going through and work together to try to see if you can't find some kind of peaceful resolution.
1: What, what was your most... Um... I was, I was going to say um, memorable, but I mean it in a, um, what sticks out to you most um, out of your years of, of working in this business?
2: Uh, is just the sheer reward. Um, unfortunately, we don't win all of them. I wish I could say that we had a, a perfect track record. Uh, we do not. And the loss is hurt. Uh, police officers get very, very calloused. And as you can imagine, you know, if you, that, uh, robbery suspect that we talked about that was hiding in the house and you end up talking to him and he ends up committing suicide. Uh, it's very easy for your peers to say, Oh, he was a, he was a dirt bag. You know, uh, he, this, this was no big loss. Well, you know what? When you started talking to him, you started developing a rapport and a bond and you realize, you know, this is somebody's kid and those losses hurt. And so that's one thing that, that sticks out, but I'll tell you the other part but more importantly is when you get somebody that's truly at the end of their rope and you hear just the horrible situations that they've gone through and you talk from that, that person who uh, is suicidal, they're either, they're in there with a gun, they're on top of a building or a bridge. And this isn't a show. This is truly that they want that pain to stop. And through the efforts of the team that you get that person. To walk out safely, that never gets old. You don't right. forget about those. It's just an incredibly good feeling. It makes you realize uh, why you do this.
1: You know, um, so what happens after that? You know, when they walk out the door and you've been successful, um, what happens to that uh, person? Do they uh, get arrested? Do they get help? Like, what's? Uh, do you follow up on that or... Uh, do you never see them again?
2: It depends. Uh, unfortunately, we've had repeat customers, uh, which is why we don't lie to people. You know, we, one of the phrases that is used in hostage negotiation is, uh, "Why lie? When the truth will be sufficient." Most people, besides, if you lie to them, and they realize you're lying, you've lost all credibility. So, uh, what happens is certainly dependent on what situation we're called out to. If, if they're a suspect in a crime, uh, it's very honest that we'll tell them, we were called there, we don't know what's happened. We certainly would, uh, we're going to have investigators that'll want to hear their side of the story. Mm-hmm. And that's very, very true. That's very true. Is uh,
0: there is there one uh, specific instance that really stands out to you, a successful one that, that you really, really... Uh, every time you think about success, that this one pops into your brain?
2: Absolutely. Uh, there's, there's many of them. Uh, the one I can tell you about, and, uh, a shameless plug uh, for the book that I had written, uh, we were fortunate enough to have a volunteer videographer uh, come out to a lot of our events. So uh, there's several photographs from the scenes uh, in these chapters. But one of them uh, was a... Uh, a gentleman that was from Mexico. Uh, he had um, an addiction to methamphetamine problem and he was abusive to his wife. And it was on Christmas night uh, that he had, it was a long story, but basically he had battered his wife uh, and she was just waiting for her opportunity to call the police. Uh, she had called 911 and he took her cell phone and smashed it. Well, when the call goes through, we got a location on it, so when the police go out there, they just think that this is for a, you know, a, a nine-one-one hangup, uh, which are very, very common calls. That a lot of times it's just a misdial. When the police cars show up, that's her chance to get out. She grabs the kids and she's running out the door. Um, he realizes because he knows that he's in trouble, and he had been previously deported. He realizes that when he gets arrested, uh, he's going to get deported after he serves federal prison time and he had a baby his his youngest one that was still in the house and he grabbed the baby and he grabbed the pistol and he said i'm not going to jail you're going to lock me up you're going to put me under the jail i'll never see my family and then you're going to deport me back to mexico and there had been a lot of misunderstandings in previous cases that he had and you can certainly understand his position and again with empathy doesn't mean we agree with him doesn't mean that what they're doing, I, I think, was right. It just means that we can kind of understand the position that they're in. And he was walking around with his 18 uh, month old child in his arms, two year old child in his arms, and he had a gun. Um, he, I don't think, will in this lifetime will ever realize how close to death he became. Because as a SWAT commander, this was a uh, conversation that we had. Uh, with the SWAT commander. Uh, if he makes any kind of sudden move and that gun comes up towards that kid, uh, we're going to end this problem because they cannot take a chance of that child uh, being harmed. You know, if you wait too long and he kills the baby, then what do mm. you do? So um, you talk about a, a pressure cooker and that we were able to finally uh, speak some some, probably just some common sense into him. And of course, after time's on our side because as time starts wearing on and they see that we didn't run in and do some kind of assault, you know, hopefully you you get a little bit more of a trust and that's what we started getting with him and just make some allowances with him. But we were able to get him to finally walk out with the baby and,
0: uh, and everything was resolved peacefully. That's great. Did you ever, um, after, even a successful one, what sort of emotional uh, sort of come down do you have to go through? Do you do you need a minute?
2: <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely! Um, you know, there's a there's that old thing that we learned we all learned in school that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So if if we are all even keel, and when we go out to one of these situations, your emotions jump up you know, uh, like a mountain peak, when you're done, you do not come back down just to normal. Mm-hmm. You're going to have that equal opposite reaction that you're going to have that, that mountain peak below. And it takes time to let, uh, those emotions subside, uh, that adrenaline, uh, all, all of everything that, that your body goes through. Uh, and especially if this takes a, a bad turn, and unfortunately we've talked to people or, or been standing there while they've jumped. Um, and of course you, you have some self-reflection of, was it something that I said? Could I have done this? You know, the woulda, coulda, shoulda game. Yeah. And so, uh, it, it does. It, it causes heartache and you do need that time. So typically, uh, especially if, it, if it is a, a bad outcome, we'll get a hold of their uh, supervisors and, and send them home. And of course in the old days, Uh, when we first started, when you would have something bad happen. Uh, What did the old-timers do? Uh, They brought us to the bar, and you drink away your sorrows. Well, we all know now that when you uh, add alcohol onto a depressing situation, you're just making it worse.
0: Yeah.
1: So I wonder, now, do do, do you find a big difference or common common, uh, crises for either men or women?
2: Um, I can tell you that there was uh, myths that they say you know women won't shoot themselves because it, uh, that's a common thing that you'll hear about suicidal things uh, with females because uh, it's more of a vain issue. I can tell you from our experience that's not true. Uh, we've had just as many females with pistols as we, as we had with males. Uh, but we do end up dealing more with males than females. We jokingly say it's the he's. They always talk about the he's. Now, we say the she's, make the he's do it, but it's the he's. But um, I know that that's uh, always tongue-in-cheek, and, uh, you know, so please, I, I hope your your listeners can, can at least uh, get a smile out of it, because that's all it was intended to do. But um, as far as commonalities, uh, you know, we typically would see your uh, people that they just don't see any future. A lot of times, uh, like, you know, with the suicidal people or even the, the barricaded folks, they just don't see a future. Now your hostage situations, uh, this is something that's almost always spur of the moment. Uh, this is the guy that was robbing the pawn store and the employees pushed the, uh, silent alarm and the cops showed up out front and they realized we're caught. I'm just not going to come out. So. Gosh, these guys must be our hostages, and we can bargain with them. And we want a million dollars, and we want an airplane and uh, safe passage. And as time goes on, most people realize that's not going to happen.
0: Yeah, I realized in my own life that's not going to happen, a million dollars yeah. in an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> not, to make, not to make light of a uh, horrible situation, but it's no, low-hanging it fruit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> wow. Yeah, write a book. You'll make a million.
1: <laughs> uh, you know, uh, children, children, how is that handled? Uh, we don't have very many juveniles uh,
2: that we deal with that are the, the actual suspects or subjects. Uh, it's, we just don't have that happen very often. Uh, unfortunately, they are normally the pawn in these situations, so it's very common to have the kids involved in it. Um, the most typical ones that we deal with are uh, she decides that she's going to leave the, the relationship. And he takes that old adage that if I can't have you, then nobody can. And the child becomes uh, just a, uh, a side player in this that, they almost you know, view it as a piece of property.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, do you um, find any um, good representations of the negotiating police on TV or movies that you could uh, recommend?
2: Well, sure. I mean, uh, the one that we require are officers that are interested in doing this. Uh, that we require them before they even come to the class a movie that of course none of the the younger generation would know uh, but dog day afternoon
0: i knew you were uh, gonna say that
2: <laughs> yep it's it's a it's a wonderful movie of how negotiate when people think about negotiations formal police negotiations is actually a relatively young art we've only been doing this since uh, about the early 70s so this isn't like a very a well-oiled machine as far as time, you know, uh, tested. Now, of course, negotiations go all the way back to biblical times, but using them in uh, in policing just typically didn't happen. Dog Day Afternoon was just a great example of mistakes that were made, and that was all based on a true story. Mm-hmm. Um, so was the movie uh, with Kevin Spacey and Samuel L. Jackson, The Negotiator. Uh, that was another one that was based off a true story, uh, things that actually happened. The art of negotiation, uh, is obviously intriguing, uh, but to make good movies or to make good television, uh, you know, they have to sensationalize certain things. So there's, there's some things that just won't happen. Uh, if they've ever seen the movie, the, 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 the negotiator at the very beginning, uh, so not to give a spoiler alert, uh, that Samuel L. Jackson goes inside where the, the man has his child hostage. That's TV. Uh, those things just do not happen. Uh, it is, you know, uh, crisis negotiations 101 that you never ever exchange one body for another. You just do not do those things.
0: Yeah, it's just uh, not safe.
2: Well, it's not only not safe. It's just, it, it brings too much other problems into the equation. There's just certain things that, that are absolute do's and do nots. And that's just one of the do nots. Uh, but, uh, there's lots of, uh, television series, uh, if you had a chance to watch anything on Waco, um, they've done a mini, mini documentary on it, uh, mm-hmm. also based off very, very, uh, realistic events and also shows you the complexities of these things because, um, you know, through, through all these incidents, whether we like them or not, of course, we can always learn from them. So David Koresh, who was the, the leader of the, the cult in, uh, in Waco uh, of the Branch Davidians, um, he, his was uh, a very spiritual nature. Um, that's one of the things that become very, very difficult. I always like to say try not to ever get into arguments about politics or religion because yeah. uh, everybody has their own opinions. And so with, with the Waco uh, incident... They brought in true biblical scholars, and of mm. course, um, just like you can do in any uh, religion talk, you just put your own spin to it. That's that's not really what that testament said, and so you you find yourself in just in that uh, that spinning wheel cycle.
0: So, have you analyzed Waco? Where, uh, where do you think things went wrong there?
2: Oh, I I, I can tell you my personal opinion. It was a horrible lack of communication between the SWAT team and the negotiators. Uh, we get tied up into um, one team has the primary and they failed so now it's the next team. So what I mean by that is if I'm talking to you on the phone and after five, six hours, well, this isn't working so now we send the, the tactical team in. Well, that, that should never be like that. It should always be done in conjunction with so in the uh, early parts of the negotiations in, in uh, Waco, Texas, they were able to, uh, to make a great deal of progress and they got a lot of the children and uh, women out of there.
0: So mm-hmm. The problem
2: is most people have no idea what we do and how we do it. Um, and it's just a different way of talking to people. Well, the tactical team, they, they weren't very happy with, uh, with some of the talks that were done. And so as an example, um, even though that David Koresh and, and some of his, uh, you know, strong supporters that were there with him, even though they would make these concessions, when the negotiators would go off, uh, and go home for the night, and everybody's supposed to be getting rest, the tactical team said, you know, it's probably a better idea if we, if we keep them up. And so they would play loud, blaring music, uh, at them, uh, that those old uh, psych ops, you know, they would play music of, uh, not music, but sounds of uh, rabbits being slaughtered. You know, something that of course is just uh, grotesque.
0: It's torture.
2: Sure. But then when the negotiators would come back and they start talking to them, how do you think they're going to respond? Right. So you had, you had one hand, had no idea what the other hand was doing. uh, Just some very, very, uh poor examples of uh cooperative leadership and uh well then of course we we saw how it ended
1: now um, when you uh, have you ever had to do a bank robbery
2: yes with uh we've had uh a bank uh, in Las Vegas where the the guy went in and said that he had sarin gas um you know, that, that brings all kinds of complications because now you have to have, you know, a, a hazmat team there because although you don't believe he, in your heart that he does, what if? So, uh, and then who's jurisdiction? You know, it's, uh, it's, it's in the, the, you know, city limits, but it's federally insured. So do you want the FBI to take it? And so you, there's just a lot of complexities that you have to work out and hopefully you have good, Relationships ahead of time, so that when that incident happened, uh, you're able to to work it. We've had that. We've had uh, a pawn shop robbery go bad, and of course, what's inside a pawn shop? Yeah, more goodness. guns. <laughs> so, uh, so when we got him surrounded, you know, it's pretty alarming when he takes eight customers and puts them all up against the glass. Uh, that, you know, that makes you realize that you're you are playing for all the marbles on this. Uh, we've had another guy that, uh, that ran a barrier at Nellis Air Force Base into one of their, uh, very, very secure, uh, areas and claimed that he had bombs inside his moving truck. Uh, people like that, I mean, they are, um, you know, just a blink away from, you know, a, someone ordering a sniper shot because can you take that risk? You know, what if he does have that? And, the exposure and the you know, the danger that they put all these other people in, not to mention that you were at a military installation.
1: I guess the mass shooters, like the one you had in Vegas from the hotel there, they're not really people you deal with too much because they pretty much kill themselves, don't they?
2: Yeah, almost uh, the vast, vast majority are white males um, that when law enforcement responds, and they realize they're cornered, they'll commit suicide. That's the vast majority of, of what happens on these incidents, which was the same for the Las Vegas uh, October 1 shooting. So it's rare that that people just give up, um, you know, and that's a whole different ideology. These are people that typically uh, they are uh, – I know that the term will come across – as as crass but they're the the people that feel they're the born losers uh that they've always been picked on uh that uh they have very little self-esteem so this is their way of giving themselves that notoriety
1: hmm. it's pretty pretty unusual uh, it, it, do you have to actually get counseling yourself when you're going through these sort of years of this kind of work
0: well
2: we're very fortunate Las Vegas, uh, added a, uh, a, a psychiatrist to the team. Um, the psychiatrist, their job, uh, is, is several fold where, you know, if they start talking to the, 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 person in crisis starts talking about medications that they're on that doc immediately understands some of the reasons for those medications. Uh, if they talk about different diagnosis, they can tell us uh, what that means. Um, If somebody is has a borderline personality or they're uh, narcissistic, what would be a better way to communicate with them? But the added benefit that we get is those docs, they know us, and they can see when they're interacting with us that we're acting out of character and uh, not uncommon for them to say, hey, let's let's go grab a cup of coffee. Uh, Let's go Mm -hmm. grab lunch. And uh, and just give you that opportunity, kind of like a peer support, where you can just kind of uh, vent and explain, you know, the, the things that you're going through. So, so in a, in an essence, yes, we do, but uh, it's not very common.
1: What do you want people to get out of the book that read it? What do you hope that they walk away with?
2: Well, there was, you know, when I when I sat down to write it, um, of course, my first thought was to help. Uh, the fellow negotiators from around the U.S. to kind of tell them about some of the incidents that we had. But also the, I, I thought it would just be, uh, a good practice to, to add in each chapter the things that we did wrong. I mean, I think any, any person can stand up in front of any group or write down and say, did you see what we did? Aren't we cool? Isn't this, aren't we, aren't we the best? You know what? In the end, who cares? Tell me what you did wrong. Tell me, tell me some of these things so I don't repeat those mistakes. Cause some of these mistakes cost people their lives. And I'm, uh, I'm not too proud to tell you that we made mistakes and some people died. And it's, those are absolutely awful. Of course, best of intentions, but you know, that, that doesn't bring that person back. So how can we prevent that from happening again? So that was one goal. And then another goal was, uh, typically all your your flashy movies or tvs i mean look at the the tv show and the and the movie swat uh why do you think uh uh cops tv show has been on for 25 years because people are interested it you know it's how does it how does this work but i just thought you know this is an opportunity to let people see behind the curtain of what it is that we do the lengths that we go to try to save another person's life and on face value you might think this guy's an awful person but you know when you hear their situation uh, it's it's devastating I mean it, it truly pulls at your heartstrings and to see all the things that we will try to do to save somebody's life and I put in their successes and I put in there in the book some that you know what we tried. And it just didn't have a good outcome. Now, the truism is ultimately it was up to that person. If they decided that they were going to jump or they were going to shoot themselves, that was ultimately up to them. But when you're that person that's on the phone with them or, or talking face to face with them up on, uh, up on the bridge, uh, when they, when they take that ultimate act, you do feel a sense of responsibility and to let people know that, um, you know, these these things, and you had asked about uh, our, our mental health for the police, uh, you're seeing now that the police suicide rate has gone up drastically. And the average is uh, an officer who has about 17 years on who's in their mid-40s. Why? It's because of that cumulative stress. And these things add to that. When you see things that, you know, and this isn't uh, a pity party. I get it that when you signed on, you understood what you were going to get into. But you do see things that you know you just shouldn't have to see. And how much carnage, how much trauma can you be exposed to until it has such a negative impact on people? And so, by reading this, uh, sometimes it'll it'll give people just a, an eye opener of an, uh, another thing that officers choose to get involved with that it's the most holistic it's the corniest thing that people say everybody says it when they go in for their police interview to try to get hired and they say why do you want to be a police officer and the textbook's answer is well i want to help other people this is negotiations is all about trying to help your fellow man
1: did you guys come up with um common Questioning or techniques for for certain scenarios, so like if you had um, you know someone that had a a gun pointed at the head of a hostage, Um, is there is there certain points that you do every time, or is it just totally ad lib?
2: Well, there are certain things
1: that we we try
2: to avoid every time, Um, certain words. Well, shoot. Well, no, probably don't want to say that. How about how about we just kill some time? You know, you know certain phrases we try not to use. Uh, we don't use the word hostage. Um, Why well, reinforce it? You know, um, you want to personalize that person. I want to use Mike's name as often as I can, so that Mike isn't an object, but it's another human being. So mm-hmm. those are certain things for sure. But to to answer your question a little bit better, it's almost the polar opposite because everybody's situation is different and this is their chance to tell their story. So our job, everybody thinks when they first come into to be a negotiator that, uh, Oh, this guy's going to do great because uh, he's a great talker. You know, he could, he could sell uh, ice cream to a, to an Eskimo, you know, uh, that's not what we want. The opposite is we want somebody who's a good listener. Because we have to be able to hear what their problem is, process it, and make sure they understood what that message was. Because we are all guilty. We all do it every day that as you're talking, I'm trying to get you to hurry up to finish so I can tell you what I want to say. Because remember, mine's important. Well, we can't do that with these people. This is their opportunity. And not only that, but when they tell us their story, Whatever it is or their problem, that we have to make sure that we sell back to them that we understood it, that their message was understood. And that we don't try to go in and solve the problems, not right off the bat. Let's just let them, you know, throw up all that information and hear them. And, you know, uh, something as simple as when they're talking of active listening. Uh-huh. Really? Go on. Can you tell me more? And just let them experience that. And if you think about it, if you've been pulled over by a, by a police officer when you got a you know you were speeding, you ran a light. Did a cop ever talk to you like that? They don't, because it's very authoritative. We're in control, and we will dominate the conversation. So just having this kind conversation and allowing them to do these things. And to understand they're probably going to call us a lot of nasty names when they're first on the phone and, you know, not respond in in kind, Um, it goes a long way.
1: Yeah, I would would imagine. Do you have a website or a place that um, you um, want people to go and see any information or a blog?
2: I I don't, other than, uh, like I said, I've been very, very fortunate. Um, you know, the, the book held hostage, uh, has just received wonderful, wonderful reviews. And I think it's just because trying to be just honest and open, you know, not trying to sugarcoat anything, not trying to make excuses for why we didn't do that or, or we would have done this, but it was for this reason. No, just being honest, we made mistakes. And unfortunately this one ended up costing somebody their life. Uh, and it's not that, that we put a lesser value on any life, every life. Uh, we talked about that sanctity of life, how life, how every life is important, every single one. Um, but to allow people to, to view it or, uh, you know, read the book or listen to the, to the audio version and let them get their own opinion and hopefully they'll walk away and realize there's, uh, policing in general. Listen, we have our, our fair share of bad apples, but there's bad apples everywhere. Uh, but the vast majority of people try to do the right thing and that you do have groups of of folks that have the title of a negotiator, uh, that to the very bottom of their, of their heart will do everything they can possible to get uh, a situation resolved peacefully, to get them reunited, uh, typically with one of their loved ones. And if they've made mistakes that, you know what, no, it doesn't mean it's the end. Uh, they're, tomorrow's always another day you know and for those that are suicidal you know that's one of the uh, phrases that sometimes we will use listen from what you've described you've gone through a whole lot of horrible things but try this and if it does work uh, I, I, there's people that care what's the very worst that happens you, you don't believe me tomorrow's another day you can always do this again tomorrow and you know and all the people I've told that to You know, I've never had to get a recall of somebody that was going to go jump again because they, we, we try to help them and, and get them in touch with the right folks or get them with a mental health professional, even if it's somebody that uh, doesn't have the, the funding to do it. There's still, uh, organizations that we can get them in almost every locale that type of help.
0: Oh yeah. That's
1: well. This has been an incredible show. Uh, We really appreciate you taking the time. Um, We're going to have the book up on our website, so listeners can just do one click and purchase the book. Um, The book is called Held Hostage and Negotiating Life and Death for the Las Vegas Police Department. And our guest has been the author, Dennis Flynn. Thank you for being on the show.
2: Alan, Mike, I'm, I'm so very grateful, and thank you for taking the time to allow me to speak
0: about it. Thanks so much, Dennis. It was very, very interesting. You've been listening to the
1: House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com.
0: The mission has been completed.
1: The end. By George, he's got it. It is the end. I'll see you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Wave Media.